All right, good morning. Welcome to you guys here that are our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So if this is your first time here with us to do a baby dedication, so we've always said two of our favorite Sundays, baptism Sunday and baby dedications, right? And for multiple different reasons, but we love to be able to share in our church family growing. Like we always said, like how cool would it be is these kids that we're dedicating, they grow up inside of the church and we see them do amazing things. So just to clarify for anybody that's here for the first time of why do we do baby dedications and not baptisms? And so we just wanna make sure that everybody understands. The reason that we do baby dedications is because in scripture, it gives us an example of how parents would dedicate their children to the Lord and raise them up as God's children, right? So the idea in scripture is to say that the dedication of a child, understanding that children are a gift, you know, and they're a gift from God and that we are stewards of our children that they give us and that he gives us an opportunity to raise them up and give them back uh, to him to be able to do whatever that God calls them to do. And so the baby dedication is twofold. One is for parents to be able to come up front and be able to make a commitment. Like this is, you know, what we're doing and this is how we're going to raise Finn in, in a way that, you know, gives them the opportunity to know Jesus and also for a church, right? It's important as a church that we understand our role, right? And how we fit in together in helping these kids know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So that's why we do baby dedication. And again, for Chris and Sarah and Finnegan, you know, the one thing that we, you have heard us talk about this before, but just something, you know, from me to you, as scripture says, is that it's a pretty big commitment, right? To take on the understanding that not only raising a child, right? As you know, as your first, it changes a lot of things in your life, but also raising Finn in a way to give him every opportunity possible to know who Jesus Christ is. And knowing that the way that he will learn that is watching you to exhibit it, right? Watching it in the way that you handle your life, the way that you do your devotions, the way that you handle yourself inside of the home, and more importantly, the way that you two love each other, right? Because We've always said inside of marriage, because that was the other gift, I got an opportunity to be a part of your wedding. And clear back then, we say part of, you know, getting married is to strip ourselves of our selfishness, just like it is with Jesus, so that your love for one another, that Finnegan can see and understand who Jesus is. So from me to you guys, and as a commitment to, as a part of this dedication, do you guys promise to the best of your ability to be able to give Finn every opportunity possible through the living of your life, through getting him to church, through surrounding him with people that will help him know Jesus Christ as his own personal savior so that he can be in environments where he can learn those things. If you will, just say, we do. We do. Awesome. So as a church, also the call is to you because we also understand if you've been a parent and you've tried to raise children, you understand how hard it is and you need people to help. And more than just people to help, but people that would be looking after Finn's well-being, not just to take care of him, but giving him opportunities to know Jesus. Because the other thing that the church can do is be an example to Finn of who Jesus is and how he loves, you know, how we love each other and how we can love on him. So as a church, you know, I said the same commitment. Will you as a church give Finn every opportunity, whether it's through working inside of the nursery or children's ministry or youth someday, and or just praying for him, take every opportunity for Finn to be able to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. If you do say, we do. Okay, so as a gift, this is the gift before we actually pray over Finn, and the gift is significant. Sorry. Yep, you're good. <laughs> so the gift is significant. Let me show it to everybody. Oh, so the, the, it's a baton. So if you, again, for people that have been here before, you've seen this, but it has uh, his dedication, his name and his dedication on there, and then a baton. And on that inside of, or on that baton, you can take the ends off. And so what we ask every parent to do, what were you thinking on the day that you dedicated Finn? And how are you going to be praying for him, you know, in his life to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And that the day of his baptism, which we hope to be able to celebrate in, you pass on the baton. He'll open up the, the baton and read the letter of when it was you giving him faith and, whether, and when he took faith on as his own. So we think it'll be a special day someday when Finn gives his life to Jesus to open that up and all of the prayers and all of the things that uh, you guys were uh, praying over him when he finally took faith on as his own. So 
Are we ready, Finn? They said beforehand, he's tired. Don't make him cry. Don't make him cry. (laughs) Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, first of all, for the gift of children. We thank you for Finnegan, Lord, and just his amazing life, uh, even though it's just short so far, Lord. We're praying for every opportunity, you know, for him to be able to understand who Jesus is. We're praying for Chris and Sarah, Lord, that you give him every opportunity to know, uh, help Finn understand and know who Jesus Christ is, you know, as Lord and Savior. Pray for the church that we too will surround him and give him every chance possible to know who you are. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We did it. (laughs) Thanks, guys. All right, so a couple announcements before we get started. So graduation Sunday is going to be next week. We want to honor our graduates. So Jenny put a link out online that if you're on social media that you can follow that link. What we want is just a short video, and she describes what that video is supposed to be. So just, again, who you are, what you're doing, and what's going on, you know, just a short video that we can play next week and be able to honor um, our graduates next Sunday. So if you're not on social media and you don't know how to do it, I think Jenny's here. I saw her. Oh, there she is in the back. So you can talk to Jenny. She'll show you how to get to the link or what she needs from you so that we can put together that next week. If, again, if you're watching online and you're not here and you want to do that, you can email Jenny um, and you can get it off of our Connect card and get her email address and she'll be able to get that together. But we want to honor our graduates next week. The other thing is VBS. If you noticed when you were walking in, there was a little VBS booth out by the chalkboard. Just as a reminder, we still need, again, volunteers for uh, the VBS program itself, and we're still looking for kids to sign up uh, for VBS. So you can do that after the service. You can walk out to the booth from there. And if you can't do either one of those, we will ask you to do this. Will you pray? Because VBS is not just an opportunity for Life Church to bring its kids together and give them a fun few days. It's an opportunity for us to try to reach the community. That's what we're praying for. We're praying that kids will learn to invite other kids into a place where we can share faith, right? And so we want them to invite their friends. But even bigger than that, we want to reach kids, but we also want to reach their families. So we're praying for families in this community that for the first time they'll bring their kids to this VBS and that they will not only see what a great thing it is for their children, but maybe for the first time they will be invited to church or into a relationship with Jesus. So if you'll pray with us that those things happen uh, during that week, even if you can't volunteer. All right, so let's jump into Revelation. So just to give you a real quick, if you have a Bible or you're watching online, you can turn to Revelation 9. So if you've been with us, uh, you kind of know the direction that we've been going in. If you haven't been with us, I want to just really quickly catch you up. So we've started in the book of Revelation, started from chapter 1. We're going to get to ver- or chapter 9. We're 16 weeks into it, 15 weeks into it. And so we're going to try to go through the best of our ability and try to pull out the highlights of what God's doing through Revelation. So I want to give you this, this brief picture. So in the beginning, we made it up to chapter 6, right? And so in chapter 6 was the opening of the scroll, which in the opening of the scroll, we've explained to people who have been listening or watching, you know, online or watched our videos or our sermon messages, we explained this. When the scroll is open, it's the start of the beginning of the end, right? So the judgments are open when the seals are opened on the scroll. It starts the beginning of the end. And the big thing in chapter six was, are you ready, right? The emphasis for us as a church was saying, it's good to see all of these things, but the book of Revelation is to ask you these questions, are you ready? So for a lot of people, they were like, I'm not really sure if I'm ready. I'm not really sure if I have the people around me ready. So we went back to Matthew 24 and 25 because in that, it paralleled Revelation 6 with this idea. Here's what's gonna happen. Same question, are you ready? But bigger point, what happens if you're not ready? Right? Like if you're not ready, There is a conclusion that is inevitable and you can't change it, right? That's what the whole idea of Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 was. The end is coming, the end is near, whether that's the end of your life or the second coming of Jesus. For people who aren't ready, you don't get a second chance, right? And that was big. 
you know, for all of us to recognize if you're not ready, it's okay. You still got a chance now, but when the end comes, the end of your life where Jesus comes back, you don't get a second chance. So you should take this with a sense of urgency, get ready, right? And so we spent time three or four weeks talking about how could you get ready? How could you get prepared? Well, then after Revelation 6, because there's so much going on, a lot of, if you followed along with us, there's a lot of devastation that happens in Revelation 6, the opening up of the seals and all the devastations that's happening in the world. You're almost to the point like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. And why would God allow all of these things to happen, right? That's always a question when we see judgment, right? Like we live in a world who doesn't like to talk about judgment, but the reality is judgment is a part of who God is and judgment is coming. And we have to understand what do we do with judgment. So judgments are coming, and then you get to Revelation 7, which we're not going to spend time on today, but I want you to understand this is what it is. In Revelation 7, 144,000 Jews come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they are sealed till the end, okay? Meaning these 144,000 of all of the devastation that is to come, they cannot and will not be touched, right? They cannot be harmed. They will be ushered into you know, the new, new heaven and the new earth because they're here for one reason and one reason only. Judgment, right, on the lives of these people is to wake us up, right? That's what judgment is supposed to do. Judgment is supposed to say, if you aren't ready, this judgment is coming to say, oh, wow, I should get ready. But then the question is, who's gonna tell you how to get ready, Right? So the 144,000 evangelists, and then you're gonna also see this, and the two witnesses, you know, the two witnesses that are at the wailing wall, between those people, they will be the ones out there preaching the gospel to those people who are suffering through tribulation and are at a point like, I need to know the answers. Who's gonna give me the answer? The 144,000 that are sealed, the two witnesses, and there are going to be Lots of people through judgment that are gonna to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's what you see at the end of Revelation 7, the martyrs that were killed during the time of tribulation. They were people who gave their life to Christ, but suffered and died during the time of tribulation. So it talks about those people. Then it goes on to the opening up of the next seal, and this is Revelation 8. In Revelation 8, it talks about the opening of the new judgments. So opening up of the last seal, but there's seven trumpet judgments and seven bowl judgments, okay? The reason seven is because seven is the perfect number and seven is the number of completion. This will be it, right? These judgments that will come through the trumpets and the bowls, when these are done and these are finished, then it's the end of those things. Christ will then finally set up his kingdom and things will be over, right? So that's what you're starting to see through the seven trumpet judgments and then through the seven bowl judgments. That's in eight. So then when we get, that's part of eight then introduces into the first four trumpet judgments. So the first four trumpet, trumpet judgments that are opened up are trumpet judgments that happen to the physical earth, right? So again, the first one inside of that is, is that hail mixed with blood. So one of the trumpets, when it sounds, hail mixed with blood will come down to the earth. And again, one of the things we're gonna talk about this quite a bit in, this, in the message today, when you see imagery, you know, don't think about like, oh, wow, there's gonna be golf-sized, ball-sized hail that broke my windshield, right? Like we try to try to put it to what you've seen today, or we try to put it in an idea of what you've seen today. You will have not seen anything like this in all of your life, the hail and the blood that will come down at the time and the destruction that will be done. The next trumpet that's blown is the sea will be essentially turned into blood and a lot of the, the livestock, or not the livestock, but the animals inside of the sea, animals, fish, anything. The things in the sea, whatever you wanna call them, right? are gonna be devastated because of, again, uh, the, the, the sea being turned to blood, another trumpet judgment. The next one is, is that the water sources will be polluted, so you will have trouble finding good, clean drinking water. And then the last one is, is that you're gonna see more darkness because the sun and the moon are starting to be destroyed, and so there'll be darkness on the world like you've never seen it. So physical for those first four trumpets, but then 
In Revelation 9, it's introduced to this idea of this was physical, and this is what we're going to spend time in today. But there's also this idea that the first judgment opens up this idea of the spiritual realm, right? Which I think sometimes inside of church, we don't want to talk about that that much, right? Like we don't want to talk about this whole idea that there is a spiritual realm and that there are things happening inside of the spiritual realm and that there is this, this idea that we as a church need to open our eyes up to. So here's what you'll see, and I'll talk about it again when we get done reading Revelation 9. When you read it, this is what you have to understand. This is all of the book of Revelations. When you're reading imagery, imagery is supposed to bring you to a reality, does that make sense? So you see the imagery. The imagery of what you see is to bring you to a reality. And that reality is supposed to change what's going on in us today. So we'll see that. Like hopefully the reality changes in you today. But not only the reality, you know, for us, but for those people at the time, the understanding of the spiritual realm, which maybe you didn't understand before. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read all the way through Revelation 9 which is the fifth trumpet, not all the way through, but we're gonna read for one through 12. And then we're gonna talk about the emphasis of what's happening. So Revelation 9, starting in verse one. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like a smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given power like the scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass or the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death but will not find it. They will, uh, they will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like a woman's hair, and their teeth was like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like, uh, they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like that of thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers, like scorpions, and in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. They had as a king over the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek is Apollyon. That is, and this is what both of those mean, is the destroyer. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. So here's what it shows. The first part of the trumpets, all physical. Well, now all of a sudden you start reading, you know, this is what's going to happen to the physical earth. And now all of a sudden it's saying, and now there's going to be this abyss, right? An angel falls from heaven, an abyss is opened, and all of a sudden you see these weird creatures coming out like locusts and scorpion, and they're going to go out there and they're going to torture people. And in the torturing of people, they're going to be suffering for five months. They're going to wish that they could die, but they couldn't. Right? So what is that imagery? This is the important part. What imagery in Revelation 9 is he trying to get us to see, you know, and understand? And it's this. The opening of the abyss is to help you understand there is a spiritual realm. There is a idea of the demonic that is unleashed and can do. This is really important. Demonic angels even in the spiritual realm, can come to this earth and do physical harm to people on this earth. Does this make tracking? Because sometimes, here's the problem. You know what happens when you read this? I think this happens. You know, when you read this and you see it, all of a sudden your mind goes to the Lord of the Rings or to Harry Potter or something like weird, right? Like you see these big giant creatures and they're going out and they're, you know, destroying all of these things. And I think you tend to put it to fantasy, right? Like this fantasy idea that these creatures are going out. Here's what he wants you to see. The demonic then and now can have effects on the physical realm that you live in today, right? Now, I think this is hard for people to get 
You know, and the reason that I say that is, to me, this is a perfect example. So last week, you know, you hear the shooting in Texas, right? So a guy walks into a school, is in there for 40 minutes, shoots up, you know, all of these kids and all of these teachers. And I don't watch much of the news or, you know, not on social media, but I read the news reports. And in these news reports, there's all these people screaming for what the answer is, right? Here's the screaming. Better background checks. Less, you know, assault rifles. You know, no magazines over a certain thing. Guards at the school. Teachers with guns. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's all kinds of answers to why these kids got shot up. And if we just did this, these kids wouldn't get shot. Steve Kerr from the Golden State Warriors screaming. When is Congress going to do something? If Congress would do something, this stuff wouldn't happen anymore. Let me tell you something. You live in a world where the spiritual realm is alive, and the only way a person walks into a school and shoots people is because of Satan. If you want to scream about something, if anybody wants to do something about it, Change the trajectory of Jesus in the lives of people. Now, again, I'm not going to stand up here and politicize any of this. I'm just saying, do you understand that Satan can use people to do devastation on this earth? Because if you miss that, then you're going to miss the whole point of what this idea of what he wants us to see through Revelation 6 is doing in our lives, right? And how it can affect us. Because if you don't believe that Satan can affect your physical realm, not just somebody else's physical realm, but can affect your physical realm, and believe that you have an enemy, because every person in this room has an enemy, and the enemy is bent on destroying God's people, Now, you gotta believe this. Listen to me. This is gonna make no sense if you don't believe this. You gotta believe that the opening up of this window is for you to see that there are real demonic people led by Satan for the purpose of destroying God's people. Now, this shouldn't be odd for us, right? Look at scripture. Look at the story of Job. Pretty familiar story with everybody, right? Here's Job, faithful servant of God, Everything's going on. Things are going right for him. Satan shows up, the accuser, to God, says to God, I think I could get Job to defect. Now, this is the part that gets a little weird, but God says, then go try. What does Satan do? Does he, like, play with people's minds? Does he, he kills and destroys Job's family. Are we all you got to get this, right? Like, Satan affected the physical realm and somebody died, right? Why? Because Satan affected the physical realm. And at the end of it, you know, we're going to see this. We're going to keep talking about it. At the end of it, Job's faith endures, but still... Satan affected the physical realm and real people were hurt and real people died. Jesus Jesus is an example. Jesus is in the wilderness. He has a mission on this earth. He goes to the wilderness. What happens? This isn't fantasy. Satan shows up, right? For what reason? To give him or to do for him uh, whatever he can do to get him off track, right? I'll give you this. I'll give you this. I'll give you this. And here's what we have to know. You see, we know that Jesus at some point in his life, questioned this idea, can I really do this? You know how we know that? Because in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane? If you could take it away, God, take it away. To the point where he was sweating drops of blood. Where's that come from? Where's that temptation come from? Satan, who's trying to destroy God's people is entering into the physical realm to make it so that people cannot understand, you know, or coming in to get people off track, right? That's what he's trying to do. The Jewish leaders, you know, the Jewish leaders that were going against Jesus at the time, 
Jesus himself called those people Satan's people or Satan's family. Like they were people being used by Satan to do things to disrupt the plan that God had, right? Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus, it says, Satan entered him. Not manipulated him from the outside, not gave him suggestions, but entered into him and Judas Iscariot because through the demonic used him to betray Jesus. Are we starting to, are you getting this, right? That the demonic isn't just up there floating around and it never really affects you. You see, I think we should be able to understand it through scripture, but sometimes if you've never experienced it, sometimes it's hard to understand, right? Like if you've never experienced this whole idea of spiritual warfare or understand how to place in your life, it's hard sometimes to understand. So here's what I want you to see. I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit about my own story. And the reason that I'm gonna tell you my own story about spiritual warfare is because for some of you in this room, you might've experienced it, but you don't know who your real enemy is. Anybody? You hear what I'm saying, right? Like the problem in not understanding spiritual warfare is you're always fighting the wrong enemy. Anybody? Right, like I've said in, inside of relationships sometimes, like inside of this relationship, make sure you understand who the real enemy is. It's not your husband and it's not your wife. It's the one who's trying to destroy you. Anybody? Right, like this is a reality. Satan knows that if he can come in and destroy you know, or get you to point out the wrong enemy and get you distracted, that you're gonna blame the wrong people and he's gonna get done what he wants to get done. In the physical realm, he's going to hurt you. He's gonna tear things apart. He's going to do things that for each one of us affect us as God's people because he would want nothing better to make you ineffective and to drag you down. So this is my own story, right? I'm gonna give you a picture. Some of you guys who are listening online or some of you guys that have been here for a while have heard these stories, but I wanna put it together in a collective realm to help you see something of how Satan works, right? I want you to understand that in the midst of this, Satan understands the way that he can attack us because of the, the idea of what goes on in our mind and what he knows could get to our heart, right? And the ways that he could tear us apart. So one of the things that uh, maybe some of you guys know, maybe you don't, but coming over to plant a church in Huntington was a big deal for us. And the reason it was a big deal is because we had kind of had the life that at least at this time, we had always dreamed about, right? We'd finally built a house, a brand new house, lived right next to our parents. Our kids were going to Adam Central, which if any of you guys are from a small town, you know, and your kids, like they grow up in a school and then when they grow up in a school, then they have more kids and everybody knows each other and your graduating class is only like 80 people. Anybody from that realm? And that's where you want your kids because it's the best school around, right? And everybody wants to be a part of that and everybody wants their kids to know the same teacher you had, right? Do you remember Mrs. What's and What's, you know? And sometimes that's good and bad. Like in my case, it'd been terrible for my kids. You know, because it'd have been like, you're a hill? That's terrible, right? <laughs> but in that idea, so it was a big deal, right, for us to be able to do it. But we made a decision to sell everything we own to come over and plant a church. Now, here's the thing that's important. So in the midst of that, Sherry and I had talked about things that would derail us as a church plant, right? What are gonna be the things that are gonna derail us? Like, what are gonna be the things that, you ever do this like you're committed to something until it's something? Anybody, right? Like you're committed to it, except for if a couple of these things happen. Like if these things happen, I'm out, okay? So we came over with like, listen, we're in, there's only a few things, three to be exact, that could really derail us. The first one was our kids, right? Because our kids were really little when we came over here and it was like a big deal. And I know for you guys that are from Huntington, this doesn't seem like a big deal. But when you're from small town Monroe and you're thinking about taking your kid that had a class of like 80 people and putting them into Huntington North High School someday, and I don't mean this bad, but it's like Huntington North High School, if you read the paper, like some of the things, like somebody got stabbed in Huntington North, right? 
This happened. Anybody? This did happen, right? It did happen. Right? So the idea is you're going to take your kids from a small town and you're going to put them into, we thought Huntington was a big town. And we thought it was going to be hard for our kids to make friends. And what was weird about it was is we felt like our kids were going to be attacked. Like we felt like spiritual warfare was real. And so we thought our kids were going to be attacked. And we were just saying, if our kids get attacked, we're out. Right? The other thing was is um, sexual misconduct, right, or sexual immorality, because we had grown up in churches where we'd watch the pastor sleep with the choir director multiple times. It seemed like it happened all the time, right? The pastor sleeping with somebody or sexual misconduct with a pastor. He's like doing something with somebody that shouldn't. He's in the youth group, whatever those things there are. But that stuff, we thought, again, sexual misconduct. And the other thing was my marriage, right? I had known Sherry since I was 15 years old, you know, that's all you know. We're coming over here. This is a big decision. We're making this together. If something was going to divide our marriage, we're out, right? Now, everything that I just told you, and I'm going to tell you, you know, these next things for a reason. Every one of those things, I was tested in every one of those areas. And I want you to hear this, not from the standpoint of like, this is, you know, just my story. I want you to hear it from the standpoint is I want you to see how Satan works and how spiritual warfare works, right? So when we came over here to plant the church, we ended up getting this building, but it took us a while to get in here. Um, and at the time, there was, you know, a factory here and then a school was out there, right? That was going on here. We were still trying to figure out how to get the sanctuary done. So I, we lived in Carlisle Crossing. We had a, you know, a house in there. Um, and one of the things that was funny is with our kids, you know, one of the reasons that we picked there, one, it's the only thing we could afford. The second thing was, is we wanted our kids to get to know other kids, right? So we thought that that would be a good transition. So our house was kind of like the town get together. So everybody came, we had the trampoline, we had all the stuff. After school, everybody would get together and everybody would play at our house. So anyway, Sherry and I had just been talking again, probably two, three weeks ago, this whole idea of like, all those things that we just said and all these things that are going to derail us. And we were processing this, you know, in our minds. Now, Cherry's out. I'm at home in the, you know, in my living room working because we didn't have an office here. And all of a sudden, again, I see Brady as plain as day, right? Plain as day. There's a hallway, like here's the couch. And there's a hallway back to the bedroom. It's plain as day. He's walking and he's looking at me at the couch with tears running down his eyes and saying, Dad, why did I have to die? And he walked through the hallway, and I didn't see him. Next thing you know, here he comes out of the hallway again, tears flowing down his eyes, stops and looks at me, Dad, why did I have to die? See this three separate times, right? And just so you understand, Brady's at school right now, so Brady is not home. I'm completely freaked out, but I'm thinking, you know how your mind gets a little weird once in a while? So you're thinking, wow, maybe this is something in my mind. Maybe this is something that, I don't know, maybe, you know, I'm just thinking through these things too much, and, you know, maybe I'm making a big deal about it. Anyway, school gets out, and uh, the kids come home, drop their stuff off, normal schedule, everybody's out, everybody's at the Hill House, everybody's playing outside except for Brady. Brady's sitting at the table, and not getting up. And I said, not even thinking about this, but I said, Brady, what are you doing? Why aren't you outside playing with everybody? He kind of put his head down and he looked me in the eyes and he said, I don't want to go outside, Dad, because I'm afraid of dying. You see, there's a real reality that Satan, if he can, is going to try to derail the thing, right? Because what was the thing that I said from the beginning? You want me to be out? Attack my kids. The thing that we worried about, the tragedy that would happen with our children. What would happen with our kids? If that's the case, I'm not sacrificing my kids for a church, right? So what's the first thing that happens? That, you know, I talked about sexual misconduct or sexual immorality. That was the other thing because we saw it all the time. Not something that, that I really thought that much about, but we had talked about it. So when the church was first started, you know, you couldn't meet in the Cafe of Hope. That's what we do now. So anybody you meet with, you meet with the Cafe of Hope. So the rule was when we were upstairs in the sanctuary, if you meet in an office, the door just has to be open, right, to protect against all the stuff that goes with it. Well, anyway, I'm pretty much the only person on staff. You know, at the time we had a few other people, but they weren't around that much. So I meet 
this woman sends a, I don't know how we did it at the time, connecting card, whatever. Hey, I need to meet with you. So end up telling her, okay, come up to the office. The door's open. You know, we meet, start making small talk. And she looks over across the desk and she says this. Every time that I look at you on stage, I think about having sex with you. Whoa, that ain't what I did. I mean, that, that wasn't what my head did. I'm like, what? She says, yeah, like, every time I just started coming, but every time I come, I just look at you, and that's all I can imagine is having sex with you. And I'm thinking there's going to be a punchline, something's going to happen, like, she's going to be, and she's saying, like, no, right now. And I'm like, hey, I get up. Is anybody here? <laughs> I get up, open the door. Is anybody here? You know, because again, just think about this. It would have taken one mistake and I would not be at this church today. Where did she come from? Who led her there? Come on, we still hope we're tracking with this, aren't we? Yeah, Satan led her there. One mistake and I'm out. I walk out, nobody's here. Holy crap, it's time for you to leave. Now, think about what this is like. How do you go home and tell your wife about that meeting? <laughs> hey, honey, by the way, some woman today sexually propositioned me in my office. First, that was hard because, again, the trust of your wife, all of these things. And when I went and told her, and if you guys would know Sherry, well, then the next Sunday, Sherry found her at church <laughs> and let her know what she thought about the whole process. <laughs> and where she thought she was from, right? So again, but that's okay, right? That was the idea. Understanding, say, this is real, spiritual warfare, Satan using other people to take down God's people. And if you don't know who the enemy is, you're gonna fall in the trap. Are we still going, right? We're still on the same page. So then it came to, you guys have heard me talk about this before in my car accident, now, sometimes I share, I have a hard time sharing this because some people still don't believe me, but I'm gonna tell you anyway. So I'm driving home from, uh, my brother got inducted into the Earlham Hall of Fame, you know, for football. Driving back, I have Brady and Isaac with me. We're going down the road. I fall asleep, cross 27, go down into a deep uh, ditch, drive quite a while, hit a concrete embankment, fly 40 feet in the air, land, it rolls end over end over end three times, lands right next to a gas line, the main gas line that would have blown up all of the, whoever was on that block of people. Isaac gets ejected out of the back window, flies 40 feet in the air. They said when he landed, it looked like a, just luggage, like a doll just went you know, first they thought it was luggage, but then when he landed, he just landed in a keep like he was a doll, broken. I went out the front window, another 40 feet, landed in a tree, slid down to the bottom. Brady was trapped under the dash. Brady and I were airlifted, you know, to Fort Wayne at the time for our injuries. And in all of that, this is what I tell you. Like, the reason I tell you this story is for a couple reasons. Like, I have car narcolepsy, so I'm not gonna, like, that's a joke. <laughs> I don't really think it's a thing. Like you fall, you know, you get tired driving. Okay, anyway. You don't get that tired. You don't drive down. We were talking to the lady who saw it all happen that I drove across the center line and was in this grass ditch for a long time. Right? Bumping over all of these things before I hit a cement and buckman. I never woke up, ever. And I told Sherry this. I'm like, I know you're mad at me because I almost killed your kids, Right? But at the end of the day, I don't know, like I was blacked out. Like, I don't know what happened. But when I look back on it, now that afterwards, that what I got afterwards, because I've shared with you guys the vision I got afterwards when I got out of the hospital, sitting up in my room, as I was sitting up in my room, awake, the whole room transforms to the accident scene, the entire room. And what I can see it from is a perspective of I'm laying on the ground and I have a demon that's eating at my head, right? And I know that all I have to say based upon what scripture says is, again, in the name of Jesus, and he has to flee. But I can't say it. I can't say it. I can't get it out. I finally say it, and the demon immediately goes away, and I can see the whole perspective of what's going on. Right in front of the gas line, there's an angel. 
big wings, big man standing in front with his hands on the front of the vehicle. There was an angel with his hand where Brady was trapped underneath the dash. There was an angel at the back looking over Brady. There was an angel again uh, kneeling beside me with his hands over me. And then I looked up at the panoramic of what was going on. And surrounding the whole accident scene was a wall of angels with flaming swords. And on the other side of it, demons trying to get to me. And trying to get through the wall of angels. And immediately when I saw that, it went away. And I'm sitting here, as you can see, like this isn't normal for me. I'm like, wow, what just, God, why would you show me those things? And here's what he said. As clear as I could hear my voice today, he said this. I wanted you to see what was going on in the spiritual realm, the battle for the lives of you and your children. You see, it's real. The spiritual realm can affect the physical realm and that there is a enemy that is trying to destroy you. Anybody? The last one was this. As you know, I talked about in the beginning, Sherry and I always worried about, you know, that somehow our, the church would go out of tragedy and we thought the tragedy was gonna come from our children. And so we're talking the last two weeks of her life and we're sitting there talking and she looks up at me and she says this. You know how we talked about in the beginning that, you know, we worried about tragedy and tragedy would grow the church. And she looked at me and she says, well, I guess I'm the one who's gonna have to die. You know, and in the midst of those things, like you just don't realize every single thing that I said. You see that? Every single thing that I said could derail me. What did Satan try to do? But you know what? Here's the cool thing. And this is what I want you to see. You see, spiritual warfare happens for two reasons. One, Satan's trying to derail you, but when he doesn't win, God's people's faith grows, right? Satan, you didn't win. I'm stronger in my faith today than I've ever been in my entire life. You can try to take it all away. You can try to derail it. But what I'm here to tell you is I'm stronger today in a better place today because of what you tried to do, but God has the glory in the end, right? Spiritual warfare also, because this reason we have to ask yourself this question, why does God allow it to happen, right? So it's the growth of the faith of the people that, that he loves, and it's to wake up those that he loves. Because he's saying to you and the Satan coming that these things are happening in your life so that you can understand if you've been blinded that you have an enemy, but you have an answer, and that answer is Jesus. You've been trying to fight the wrong enemy. You've been trying to get through life in the wrong way. He's saying, this is coming from Satan. If you want delivered from Satan, you know who you need? You know what the answer is? It's Jesus. The understanding of spiritual warfare, Satan came to destroy, but when we give the answer Jesus, revival happens in the world. When we give other answers, when we go down roads that we shouldn't go down, when we try to fix things that, that are outside of that realm, we miss what he's trying to do. And so with that, let's just go through real quick and let's go back and look at Revelation 9. Because inside of Revelation 9, it gives us this quick picture of what, uh, what he's trying to wake us up to. So Revelation 9, starting in verse 1. The fifth angel surrounded, uh, sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was giving a key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke of the abyss. So the first thing is you see a fallen star. That fallen star is Satan. And here's what I want you to see. It's not from the beginning, but if you read on in Revelation 12, Michael the archangel and Satan are fighting. And when they fight, obviously Michael the archangel wins and he casts Satan to earthly realms where he can no longer do anything in the spiritual realm and he carries out the rest of his activity on the earth, right? That's what we see in Revelation. Also, he gets a key, this is the judgment, to open up the abyss. And here's the thing that you need to understand about the abyss. You're gonna see this in just a second. 
In the abyss, what was locked up by God was the worst of the worst angels, demonic angels. The worst that you could ever imagine that have not been unleashed on this earth yet were locked in the abyss. And the key given to Satan so that he can open those things up, right? And from that, you're going to see the demonic rule on the earth. You're going to see the demonic come out and wreak havoc on the earth. And we're going to see why in here in just a second. Keep going. Um, and on and out of the smoke, locusts came down to the earth and were given power like the scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass or the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for about five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will not elude them. So locust, was it real locust that he let out? Was it, you know, is that what they're trying to see? Or is it again an imagery? The imagery is locust because it's to give you this idea of the numbers of right? So locusts is the imagery of like, if you see the plague of locusts and they take over, it's of imagery to say to you, that's how many of the demonic will be on the earth at the time, right? So many of them. Also, they're not real scorpions, but why the imagery of a scorpion? Because the imagery is supposed to show you that the only reason that they come is to harm people. That's the only reason or the only thing that a scorpion can do right, as it comes to harm people. So there's many of the demonic, and they come as scorpions to just harm God or harm people. But there is limitations. So what are the limitations? They cannot touch the 144,000, right? They can't touch the 144,000. Why? Because the people that are tortured are tortured for how long? Five months, right? Why tortured for five months? because it's God's judgment and God's mercy. In the midst of the torture, what do you think those people are gonna be doing, hopefully? What happens to most people when you run through hard times? You wake up and look for an answer. Who's gonna give them the answer? The 144,000. What is the answer? Jesus, right? In that, it's God's judgment, but also God's mercy to be able to see that. Then he goes on and he says this, the locusts looked like horses prepared for battle on their heads. They wore something like crowns of gold and their faces resembled human faces. The hair was like woman's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings was like thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails with stingers like scorpions and in their tails they had the power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them, king over them, the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew was Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, which just means that that is the destroyer. The first woe is past, two other woes are yet to come. So the worship team's gonna come back up. Let's just real, go through this real quick. Why the imagery of the horses? Because it's an idea that if you could see all of these demons, the idea is horses ready for battle. So if you have seen movies, you can see this, the, de the, the horses that are like pawing, ready to go, right? So it's giving you this picture of these horses or these demons that are ready to go into war. Why do they have crowns? So why is it important that they have crowns? Because during this time, they're indestructible. That's why they have crowns. So during this time, they're indestructible. Like no matter who fights against them, during these months, they will be unable to be destroyed. The other one is faces like men. So why the imagery of faces like men? It's because I feel like John would have known what I think most of us would sit back and see. As you think about demons, you think about these weird looking orc people gonna run all over the earth and they're just dumb and they're out there swinging their axes and just killing everybody that's in front of them. The idea of a man's face is to show that these demons will have intellect like a man, right? That they will have intellect in the things that they do. They will understand thinking and act just like that. Why the woman's hair? Did you notice that? So it's a man's face, but a woman's hair. Why a woman's hair? It's because a woman's hair, from an imagery standpoint, was supposed to be seductive, right? So you see a man's face with a woman's hair that's going to draw people in, seduce people to come to that place where then they can inflict the pain. So the imagery of when it comes shows also sedu seduction. Also teeth, like lions, because once they do get their prey, they're going to tear them apart. But remember, they can't kill them, 
right? So they're going to tear them apart. Breastplates so that they can protect or be protected, you know, during that time. Because people are going to fight against them, but they're going to be protected, you know, at that time. And then also then the scorpion's tail or the scorpion. Because, again, if you study this, the scorpion is going to, the, the wound that's going to be inflicted, people are going to be so sick that they're going to wish that they could die, but they can't. Like there's gonna be this torment in their body that they're gonna just wish that it could be over, but they can't get it over, right? Like they can't get, they can't die. And that's because of the mercy of God. Because during that time, this is the answer. During that time, God's gonna say, my people will give you the answer. The question is just this, will you listen? Which king are you gonna listen to? Right? Like that's the question. The question that's out there at this time is this spiritual warfare is God's trying to wake you up to who's truly the king. He's trying to wake you up that inside of this spiritual battle that he's the answer that you need to have. And here's what I want to ask each one of us. This is the, the question for each one of you in this room. There is a real enemy and I hope that you got that out of today. I hope that you got a got out of this, that there is a real enemy using real demons to destroy you. The question is, what are you going to do to fight the enemy? What is it that you're going to be prepared for? Because just so you understand, no one's immune. No one. No one gets a free pass from the spiritual realm and the effects of the spiritual realm for each one of us. But the question is, now that you know this, what will you do? Now that you understand that there is a spiritual battle and that there is a war, what will you do? Not only what will you do, what will you do for your family? What will you do for for those around you to make them understand that there is a enemy that wants to affect their lives. What will we do to protect? What will we do to be a part of? And when we are attacked, where where will the glory go? You see, because here's part of the problem. Here's what Satan wants. As soon as the attacks happen, you know what most people do? Blame God. True? When the things of this world happens, the first thing that people do is blame God. That's exactly what Satan wants you to do, blame God. But what God wants you to see is there's an enemy, but there's an answer. I'm the answer. Come to me and your faith will grow. Your faith will be stronger. I will be the one that will deliver you from this. Satan can try to destroy. But here's my hope for you, that your faith will be stronger than it's ever been before. That through these attacks and through the things that God, that Satan's trying to do in your life, that you will use those things for your faith to be built up. For us as people of God to be built up in faith and understand this, Satan, you can do whatever you want, but at the end of the day, Jesus wins. Anybody excited about that one? Come on, right? Like, listen to me. He can do whatever he wants. Take whatever he wants. But in the end, in the end, take physical life. Do the worst that you think you could ever do. But at the end, this is what I know as a believer in Jesus Christ. Take everything in this physical world, but you will not take my faith. And that's where we need to be. Because inside of that, you know what happens? Revival happens because the faith of God shown through the glory of God to a world who is searching for the answer, right? Will you stand so I can pray for you? (laughs) Heavenly Father, we just come to you first understanding that the picture and the window into the spiritual realm is a difficult one, but we thank you for it. Thank you that you've helped us identify the real enemy. Lord, Thankfully, we know that Satan can try to destroy, but ultimately you win. So we as believers, may we be faithful. 
Lord, I pray for those today in this room that Satan's trying to disrupt and Satan's trying to to get you off track, that you'll recognize that enemy and you will go to the answer and the answer is Jesus. And may through both of those decisions, we bring you glory because we know, Lord, in this world, it's not getting any better. It's just getting worse. But Lord, we're gonna keep pushing into you. Heavenly Father, we love you. To your name we pray, amen.
Amen. I'm so glad we get to worship a God who holds all of the glory, the honor, and the power. We're going to keep worshiping this morning. And my prayer is, as he opens up the heavens, that we can receive what he has to give us today. So as we sing this last song, I want you to receive what he is giving you. Let's praise the name of the Lord. We waited for this day. We're gathered in your name, calling out to you. Your glory like a fire, awakening desire, will burn our hearts with truth. You're the reason we're here. You're the reason we're singing. Open up the heavens. So I feel like, you know, with this message today, that could be our anthem, right? Like, listen, we live in a world where the enemy's real and the enemy is attacking and the enemy is trying to destroy. But we as a church and we as believers, we just want God to show us his glory, right? And he can show us his glory because we will be faithful in the midst of the attacks, in the midst of what Satan's trying to do on this earth, and that we can see God's power because we, like the evangelist at the time, when Satan tries to attack, we can use what Satan's trying to do for bad and use it for good and be able to preach the gospel. And when we do that, revival's gonna happen. 
and you're gonna see the glory of God like you've never seen it on this earth before. So again, let that be our anthem. God, show us your glory, show us your power. Let us be faithful in the midst of a world that's being attacked by the enemy. So thank you everybody for joining us here at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online. Hope you have a great weekend and we'll see you guys next week.